The word of God from Luke. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Altogether, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand. Forever. Amen. Thank you, Penny. And uh, you may be seated. Um, this morning, we have a guest preacher. Dwayne Corey is here from down south in Littleton. And Dwayne is the founding pastor of Deer Creek Church there. And we are excited to have you with us. Dwayne, thank you so much for coming and being with us this morning, not only bringing the word but having for years been a very good friend to Denver Presbyterian. Thanks, Jason. It's good to be here. Thank you for uh, giving me this opportunity. Uh, we do have some history with uh, Denver Pres, good history. And so some of you we know pretty well. Uh, many of you we don't know at all. But the thing we have in common, of course, is what we've already been celebrating, the coming of Christ into our lives and uh, as you can tell by the text we read a moment ago, I've chosen a, certainly an Advent passage uh, to uh, study with you, to look at this morning. Uh, I hope by the time we're done, you actually see the connection uh, and uh, take something away from this. So before we go any further, though, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, for we know that you are here with us now. Jesus, we are thankful for your promise that wherever two or three gather together in your name, you are there uh, with them in their midst. So we know you're with us now. And Holy Spirit, would you fill us and teach us and encourage and challenge us as only you are able as we reflect together on your word. All of this we ask for your glory and we ask in the name, the precious name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Uh, stupidity is, I imagine you have heard this statement before, knowing that something doesn't work, but you keep doing it anyway. Uh, Albert Einstein is reputed to have said, two things are infinite, the universe and human stupidity. And he went on to say, I'm not sure about the universe. <laughs> so here we are entering Christmas Advent season, and year after year, what do we do? Well... If you're at all like us down south in Littleton, we party. We party with work associates. We get together with friends and have parties. Uh, we get together with family. And we clean our house for those occasions. And then afterwards, we clean it again so that we can be ready for the next party. We uh, buy and wrap gifts. We get kids to special holiday school events that happen at this time of the year. We do the strangest things. We go out and buy a tree, or you set one up if you have the fake variety, if that's your family tradition. And then we put up decorations. We untangle Christmas lights, replace the ones that don't work. And for all of our gatherings, we make meals, usually elaborate ones. 
Uh, we bake or cook cookies and pies and cakes, and we eat all of this food, and we gain weight, and we also welcome relatives that, well, we don't always get along with, but at Christmas time we gather together. And when all of that is over and done, we pay the bills and we proceed to put it all away. And it seems like the holidays aren't really the holidays unless our lives get ramped up to almost an unbearable level of busyness and stress. And so for a follower of Jesus, Christmas celebration and Advent seem to have conflicting agendas. On the one hand, Advent calls us to focus on Jesus, on his coming, for after all, he is Emmanuel, God with us. And on the other hand, uh, our cultural celebrations of Christmas almost seem to pressure us to make a memory, if you will, regardless of the surrounding chaos and busyness in our lives. This can be somewhat difficult, somewhat of a conundrum. I would suggest that we ought to consider doing Advent differently. Uh, I would suggest we ought to simplify as much as we can at this time of year. And to get us thinking, uh, I want us to look at this passage, Luke chapter 10. It's the story of Martha and Mary, probably a familiar story to many of you. It's a story that's a lot like some of our Christmas celebrations. Jesus is coming to the home of Martha and Mary, along with family, along with disciples, I'm sure along with wives and children all coming to visit, a meal is being prepared. And interestingly, this story comes right after the story of the Good Samaritan, which if you know that story, that is a story about going and doing and serving and loving. And right before Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, what we call the Lord's Prayer, which is uh, partly about not going and not doing, but instead sitting with God and talking to him. It's about praying and slowing down. And it's not a coincidence that both of these themes surface in this story of Martha and Mary. In the passage we just read in Luke 10, we meet Martha. Martha is very obviously a housekeeper running a household, uh, she is perhaps also a widow. We don't know that, actually. But she opens her home to Jesus. And there's a bit of irony in this story. Martha thinks that she is opening her home and her stuff and her life and her service to Jesus. That's kind of the picture here. But in reality, there's a lot of stuff getting in the way of her doing that. That is meeting Jesus, welcoming Jesus. One of the things getting in her way is her sister Mary. It's just like a sister to be in the way on an occasion like this. We're introduced to Mary this way in Luke 10, 39. She had a sister called Mary who sat. Interesting. What a lazy, selfish person Mary is. I mean, this is crunch time here. There are guests arriving. Rooms need to be tidied. Food needs to be cooked and served, places set at the table. There are people to care for, tons and tons of things to be done. Any of you anticipating some of this yourself? Mary, where are you? Mary seems kind of lazy, maybe even selfish. Uh, she is just sitting there listening to Jesus, letting Martha, her sister, do everything. I find myself a little irritated at Mary, frankly, when I read this story. And probably anyone noticing what Mary was doing in that day would have been irritated too. 
Mary's actions were pretty culturally unacceptable. To sit at the feet of a rabbi was a privilege of a disciple of that rabbi. Women weren't considered necessarily to be disciples of rabbis. Followers, yes, maybe. Helpers, certainly. Wives of disciples, sure, of course. But Mary's action of sitting at Jesus' feet was a very bold move for Mary to make. Mary is saying, I am a disciple of Jesus too. I need to know him better. I want to understand. I want to learn more about this individual. I found a pearl of great value and I am not going to let it go. And she's not going to let this opportunity to sit and talk with God slip away. She's found her rabbi. In Acts 22, verse 3 Paul says this about himself. He says, I was educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers. He doesn't mean that he sat and did nothing, of course. That's an expression, and we understand that. He means he was educated as a disciple of Gamaliel. He sat at Gamaliel's feet, and that's what Mary is doing. In this text, she's actually taking the posture of a disciple and amazingly, she commends, uh, Jesus commends her for doing exactly that. He says, Mary has chosen what is better, he says. Uh, Mary does a very bold thing here, and Jesus approves of what Mary does. Now, Martha does something bold as well in verse 40. She says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. That's Martha's prayer. Tell her to help me, Lord. I sure could use a little help around here. Uh, we've all prayed prayers kind of like that before. You know, Martha is working her fingers to the bone. Mary is sitting, sitting at the feet of Jesus. She was the one slowing down, deliberately connecting with Jesus. But Martha was taking charge. She's getting things done. She's planning. She's executing She's making the program happen. She's go, 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 go. There's a lot to be done. And our culture loves and celebrates Martha. Martha would fit right into our culture, right into our congregations. Uh, she's a leader. She's driven. She's outspoken. She's task-oriented. She takes charge of the situation. Martha even has the audacity to tell Jesus what to do. Tell her to help me, she says. Wow. Wow. I mean, who would do that? Well, come to think of it, I do that. Any of you do that? Jesus, here are some of my prayer requests. I need you to get me a friend. I'm feeling lonely. Jesus, I need you to get me a spouse. Jesus, I need you to fix this child that I'm having difficulty fixing. Jesus, I need you to fix my spouse. I need you to get me this job or this promotion. I need you to give me this or give me that. Jesus, this is what I need. Any of your prayers ever take on an air like that sometimes? That's kind of what Martha's doing. She has her agenda. She has her task. It's clear in her mind what needs to be done. And she's pretty sure that her agenda should also be Jesus' agenda. So she's not hesitant to tell Jesus what he needs or what he should 
be doing so that her little kingdom will run a little more smoothly. Jesus, I sure could use a little help around here. That's her prayer. And I'm guessing that that is similar to some prayers that some of us pray as well. That was Martha. And that's what she was doing. It's kind of a fix-it prayer. And you know, fix-it prayers are, (laughs) frankly, always kind of dangerous. We find ourselves in a situation, it's troubling, it's difficult, it's a struggle, it's a challenge, and we pray the fix-it prayer. When fact of the matter is, and this is a whole other sermon, maybe a whole other series, but I doubt I'll get invited back to preach it, but this is about what God is up to in the challenges and the difficulties and the messes and the struggles of our life. Very much a lot of our growth in Jesus, becoming more like Jesus, can only happen in a context like that. But most often our prayers are, Jesus, fix it, fix it, fix it, get me out of this, change this, make this what I want it to be. That's our agenda, oftentimes, uh, which is adverse to Jesus' agenda. Well, anyway, that's another topic. But what's interesting here with Martha, I think, is that while Martha is managing and leading many things, she is also imploding. You notice that, I'm sure. Her life feels like it's falling apart. Jesus says to her in verse 41, Martha, Martha, and this is the NIV version, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. That little expression, worried and upset, some translations, the one we read a moment ago uses the word distracted. Uh, The English doesn't do justice to the Greek here at all. The expression in the Greek literally means to be torn to pieces. That's a literal rending. Martha is being torn to pieces with all the pressure, with all the plans, with all the preparations. Uh, Tim Keller provides an interesting commentary on Martha's condition. He says, Martha is psychologically alienated. She is relationally disconnected and completely unaware of her current condition. She's lost her true sense of identity because of stress, because of busyness. Because of her agenda, she is relationally alienated from her sister Mary. She's resenting Mary, to be sure. She doesn't understand what Mary has begun to understand, and that is that something of infinite value, something of infinite worth, something of infinite wisdom has entered their home. Uh, something that she herself should be giving her full attention to. And consequently, it's fair to say that Martha is also alienated from Jesus, spiritually speaking, not really connecting. She's missing her opportunity to connect with him, to learn from him, to listen to him, to really be a disciple, so to speak. She's not really in tune with what's actually happening in her home, the magnitude of that moment. And it seems that what needs to happen is some food needs to be served. This sounds like these disciples are hungry. Uh, But perhaps, just perhaps, peanut butter sandwiches would have done the job in this case. But Martha wants to serve the whole rack of lamb with all the sides. That's what she wants to do. And she is so stressed, she can't even grasp what is right in front of her. Who is right in front of her? And what she should be doing or not doing has kind of escaped her. It's kind of what happens to many of us during our season of Advent. 
I mean, here we are remembering Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. He came for you. He came for me. He left heaven, set his glory aside. He became a man so that you and I could know him intimately as a savior, as a teacher, as a friend, as a king. But we can get so caught up in the busyness of this season that we hardly give him a second thought. We don't take time to sit with him. We don't listen to him. We don't slow down enough to really actually worship him. It makes me uh, want to ask myself, you know, how can I enter this Advent season differently? How can I stop being so stupid at Christmas? Not a very sexy Advent title for a sermon, but... um, Ronnie asked me, what's the title of your message? And I said, stop being stupid. He said, excuse me? You know, I said, no, that's it. And then he put it in the bulletin as don't be stupid. So he wasn't really listening, but anyway. (laughs) How can I do things differently so that my schedule, my relationships, my heart are not being torn to pieces, but are in fact healthy? How do I keep from being alienated from the people I love and the God that I serve at this very time of year when I'm celebrating his coming? Martha is a perfect picture of me sometimes, living a busy, busy life and yet personally, relationally, even spiritually being torn to pieces, being worried and upset about many things. That's how Jesus described Martha. Uh, Probably it'd be a good idea for us to ask ourselves, how would Jesus describe you today or in this season? You know, uh, Martha wasn't even aware of her condition. That's something, not being aware of your condition. She, She just wanted more help from Mary so she could do more stuff, get more stuff done, and be more busy. Let me ask you this. Do you wish that you could get the right things done or just get more things done? Do you wish to be more present with the people that you are with or just be with more people? Do you wish to live an unhurried, unrushed, more purpose-filled life or just live a life filled with more obligations? You see, friends, somehow in our society, getting more things done, meeting more people, more clients, more contacts, more customers, more deadlines, fulfilling more obligations has become actually the only right answer in our culture. But Jesus tells Martha, and I think us as well, that living that kind of life, frankly, leads to alienation. It leads to a life being torn to pieces, being worried and upset about many things. And really, that kind of life is an outward expression of a very, very unhealthy inward condition. And it makes you wonder why we choose to live that way, because that's what many of us are doing. I think maybe it has something to do with 
the message that the world and our flesh and the evil one himself are always sending our way. Two messages, really. One of the things, and it comes in many different uh, words, many different ways, but one of the messages we're constantly hearing is that you are not enough. You need to be more intelligent or more productive or more effective as a parent or more successful at work or more beautiful, more handsome. That's one of the messages that just never ends. The other message that we constantly hear is you don't have enough. You need more money, more power, more recognition, more impact, more significance. That way it will demonstrate that just maybe you're enough. And those messages are coming our way constantly. And these lies tell us that we are insufficient, we are inadequate, incompetent, we are lacking, we are deficient. Sometimes our activity and busyness is an attempt to acquire those things that we think will make us enough. Sometimes our activity and busyness is an attempt to drown out those voices. But the truth is, no amount of busyness no amount of activity or achievement will ever give us the identity we long for, the identity for which we were made. Busyness and activity will never tell us we are enough, we are loved, we matter. Fact of the matter is Jesus' incarnation is what tells us that. Jesus came to teach us and to demonstrate to us the love uh, that God the Father and he himself has for us. Enough love to come and live among us and die for us. The Apostle Paul says that Jesus made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Even to that degree, that's the demonstrator of how much Jesus cares about you, loves you, that he would go to that length for you. This is the identity that we have from Jesus. It's the identity that we have from our Heavenly Father, from the Holy Spirit. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are what demonstrate uh, that we are precious to Him, that we do matter. We are His beloved sons and daughters. We are enough. This is the identity we were made for, and this should silence the voices that come our way that say, you're not enough, you need to do more, achieve more, be more, you, you don't have enough. It's um, an individual named Sky Jathani, a couple of his books I've read over the years. Um, he said that we're a nation with a theology of consumption. It's a really interesting book. It's a good book. Um, he talks about these two messages, that you're not enough and and uh, you don't have enough. And this is what he says. He says, more becomes the way to fill the spiritual poverty of our souls. More things, more meetings, more experiences, more expectations. And both of these lies cause us to wear busyness like a badge of honor, measuring our value and worth and importance by how full and overwhelmed we can describe our lives. A demanding life becomes a sign of power and influence and significance. And here's the deal. Whether we know it or not, Martha is our culture's patron saint. She really is. Martha is a high-capacity, gifted person. 
This woman can get things done. She could organize, she could plan, she could execute with the best of them, and we love people like this in our culture. But Martha, I'm pretty sure, was believing some version of those two lies You're not enough, you don't have enough. And because she believed things like that, she was bound and determined to make this Jesus party work, even if it killed her. And so she comes to Jesus and she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. You see, Martha had a plan. If Mary would jump in, her plan would work perfectly. But here's the point. Martha's plan caused her to be worried and upset about many things, it says. Martha's plan caused her to miss the one great thing that Mary didn't miss. The very thing that would set Martha free from all of the worry and all of the pressure and all of the alienation. And Jesus breaks in to Martha's life and he says, Martha, Martha. And anytime you see repetition in Scripture, it's to make a point of emphasis, like truly, truly, or verily, verily. This is Martha, Martha. It's to indicate that something uh, is really important. And here what we see is, is that Martha is really important to Jesus. And that is such incredibly great news. It means that All the Marthas in this world, (laughs) frankly, are important to Jesus. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. Jesus knows Martha's heart. He doesn't condemn her. He could, but he didn't. What he does is he speaks truth to her. And he points her in a different direction than she's headed, than her agenda would take her. One I think that can heal her kind of not enough condition of the heart. He says, you're upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. You see, Jesus is saying in this moment, he's teaching in this moment, that the simple decision to slow down and spend some time at his feet is what will set Martha and us, as it did Mary, free from the alienated, torn to pieces, doing many things way of life. You see, our souls don't hunger for one more obligation. And our souls don't hunger for one more present or one more function to attend or one more achievement or one more recognition or award or promotion. Our souls actually hunger for intimate connection to the Lord of glory, the King of kings, Jesus Christ himself. Our souls hunger for the identity that we can find in him and him alone. And it's important in this story that Jesus says, Mary has chosen. You see, we choose, frankly, every day. We, we constantly choose whether we will walk through life or through this Advent season, if you will, choosing what is better, being connected to Jesus, being attentive to Jesus, doing life with Jesus, living without worry, set free from the lies of not enough. We get to choose what messages we hear and accept 
and receive. So this morning, I'm kind of asking you to do something. I'm, I'm asking you to simplify. There's a lady, her name is Jan Johnson. She wrote a book some years ago called Abundant uh, Simplicity. It's a book actually about Christian disciplines, uh, of which there are many, many different kinds of disciplines. She describes them in two ways. She says there are certain disciplines of engagement. These are things that we do to grow as a follower of Jesus. We read, we pray, we gather like this for worship. We partake of the sacraments, uh, we study and so. And then she also talks about disciplines of abstinence, right? These are things we don't do. We choose not to do them. Uh, choosing not to overload the calendar, for example. Or choosing not to overload the credit card, for example. And Jesus was a master at practicing both kinds of these disciplines. Disciplines of engagement. You study the life of Jesus. Where was Jesus on the Sabbath? He was at synagogue. He was reading. He was singing. He was celebrating. He was worshiping his heavenly Father. Uh, we see the, a regular pattern in Jesus' life of praying, of knowing and studying Scripture. Uh, he practiced disciplines of engagement, but he also practiced disciplines of abstinence, leaving the crowds on occasion, taking his disciples on that northerly trip to Caesarea Philippi. That was all about getting his disciples away from the crush uh, of ministry and the crush of the needs of, of people and spending time together with them, uh, getting alone to walk and to pray, uh, not over worrying about food and shelter and clothing. These were ways that Jesus practiced the discipline of abstinence. And things like this are sometimes called the practice of simplicity, rearranging what we do or stopping some of the things we do so that we can do the better things. Simplicity challenges our vested interest in living like Martha, trying to be high-capacity people and trying to prove by what we do or what we achieve or, or how we do it that, that we are enough. Uh, simplifying your life leads to fewer things to do, fewer dollars spent, and fewer people to see. Simplicity is designed to release us from the worried and upset about many things way of life. So I'm, I want to challenge you to practice some simplicity, to simplify this Advent season as much as you can. Uh, how many of you are extroverts here, would you say? Raise your hand. Extroverts love to do that. They just do. Just, you know, to raise their hand, you know, and, and be seen and be, be noticed. If I'd asked introverts, it'd be like, oh, you know. Well, for extroverts in particular, here's one thing, and so I'm kind of talking to myself here too. Uh, I'm somewhere kind of in the middle, but uh, I, I fall into this category. I need to hear what I'm preaching. Uh, downsize your words this Advent season. Listen more. Listen better. Talk less. Downsizing your words can mean practicing not interrupting others. Practicing not giving your opinion about everything. Practicing not giving advice unless advice is asked for. Downsizing your words is one way to practice simplicity. Here, here's another. Uh, simplify your social commitments. Learn to say no to things that don't really matter. Things that will not really enrich or bring joy into your life or to others around you. Things that mostly just use up your time and fill in the spaces. Practicing simplicity will affect your calendar. Practicing simplicity could mean buying fewer gifts for people. Buy gifts or give gifts that really matter. 
Write some words of love, encouragement. Schedule more intentional time with people you love and and know and want to get to know better. Plan more deeds of kindness for those people. My my favorite gifts, I mean, I'm an old guy and I've got grown children who are married now with grandchildren. My favorite gifts are always the letters and the notes that I get from them usually at this time of year. I I keep them. They're they're in a file uh, in a drawer in my office. Those matter to me. Uh, Here's another way to simplify. Develop your slowing skills because we're always in a rush in such a hurry. Deliberately choose to put yourself in a situation where you have to wait. Ooh, gosh, that's gross. Make good use of your waiting time when you're waiting. Here's one. Get in the longest line at the grocery store. Let someone in front of you who looks very panicked, you know, and frustrated because they're not at the front of the line. Let someone cut in front of you in the traffic lane, the merge lane. And as they do, use that time to pray for them instead of gesturing at them or, you know, saying something unkind. Let somebody else go first. I know this really bothers us. Uh, We live in a culture that says, no, I I deserve to be at the front of the line. I deserve to be first. I'm important. I'm busy. Get out of my way. And we push and we struggle to get to the front. What our culture really needs to see is a community of people that says, "I, I, I don't need to be first. I can be last if that serves a purpose. I I don't need to live my life rushed. I don't don't need to be hurried. I I want to live my life peacefully and purposefully. I'm enough already because of Jesus. I I have enough. You, you, You go ahead. You go first. Friends, realize God is at work everywhere, even in lines, even in rush hours, even in crowded stores even at hectic family gatherings. Be intentional. Represent Jesus there. Be conscious of who is with you. It's the season of Advent. Put others before yourself. Here's, here's one. Do a media fast. That's a way to simplify. That's awful, but you can do it. You know, no, no TV. You know what TV is? TV is just gap space filler for most of us. I'm bored. I need something to do. Boom. Say no to that. Take more time talking, more time playing games, more time interacting, more time reading, more time serving. Here's one. When you show up at meetings, show up a few minutes early. That way you you won't be harried in getting there. And you can pray for people who will be arriving shortly. Have you ever done that? Before the meeting, you can ask Jesus to make you a good listener as well as participant in this meeting. This will help you be fully present. It'll help you actually work better. It will help you hear from God and be a better blessing to the others that you're going to be in that meeting. Uh, Here's a question for you, friends. What are you not going to do for Christmas this year so that you can do it better? So that you can do the things that matter most. The reason for this discipline of simplicity is so that you can be free of worrying Uh, and being upset about many things, and do the better things. Jesus said in Luke 10, 42, only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus wants us to do the truly needed things, the better things, the things that cannot be taken away, the things that connect us to him and to others. And when we are doing that, perhaps then we will stop believing the lies that come to us from the world and the flesh and the devil. 
When we are doing that, we will know that we are enough. We are loved. And we do already live in the abundance of things that Jesus provides for us. And it's not that Jesus isn't already saying these things. It's just that oftentimes we can't hear him because we won't slow down. We are too busy. The practice of simplicity can help us hear him. And hearing Jesus is what moves us out of psychological, spiritual, and relational alienation to a place where we know ourselves better and know our Heavenly Father and Jesus better. When that is the case, our relationships deepen. And when that is the case, we deepen. And we become better people to be around, people who are more like Jesus. And so my Advent admonition to you is stop being stupid. Stop living like Martha. Stop being torn to pieces and worrying about many things. And take time, take time this Advent season to sit with Jesus, the God who comes from up there, down here. Take time to sit with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, this story. We thank you for Jesus' instruction to Martha because God it instructs us. And may we become, may we be people who understand that we are enough because Jesus says so. He demonstrates it. Help us to figure out ways, Father, that we can, in fact, simplify this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.